You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. My name's Dan Johnson. I'm the host. You know this. You know this. And this is the last podcast of 2017. And I tell you what, I'll be completely honest. I have had one hell of a ride this year doing this podcast. I absolutely love talking about bow hunting equipment, deer hunting, western hunting. Everything that we've talked about is something that I will... Like, I cherish it. I love it. And the best part about this is talking to regular guys and gals all over the United States who are passionate about hunting the same way that I'm passionate about hunting. And uh, there are times where I think I'm a little crazy because I might be too passionate about it. But it's good to know that there's other psychos out there like yourselves who make me feel a lot more normal. So... Thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's who I owe a big thanks to is you, the listener of this podcast. Because without you, this wouldn't be possible. Yes, I would probably still be putting out podcasts, but I'd be putting out less podcasts. And uh, I don't know what it is, man. I, I just love doing what I'm doing. And uh, I, I have you to thank for that. There's going to be a lot more to come, not only from the Nine Finger Chronicles, but from the Sportsman's Nation as well. So definitely keep an eye out on 2018. Uh, there's big things coming. I'm in the uh, I'm in the works of growing everything. So this is a perfect time for me to tell you if you have a podcast that you think might be a good fit for the Sportsman's Nation, whether that is fishing waterfowl western hunting hit me up i'd love to talk with you about that other than that guys today we have a really cool podcast uh we're going to be talking with 
Garrick Harrison. And Garrick is from Oklahoma. And I, th- I think we've only had one, maybe two other guys on the podcast from Oklahoma. And uh, we're going to talk about how he harvested his biggest deer to date with a bow, 160 at 160 inch giant uh, that he has had two years of experience with. It's going to be a great podcast. The story is going to be awesome. And uh, it's just going to be a good way to wind down 2017. And I also owe another thanks to the partners of this podcast. And again, their support means a lot to me as well because it's easier for me to tell my wife I'm back here maybe gaining getting a little extra cash on the side it's easier for her to watch the kids because I got three kids and right now they are crying and whining and they they don't want to go to bed but she's trying to put them to bed and I'm back here for you know an hour a night sometimes two hours a night putting together the nine finger chronicles and the sportsman's nation and trying to grow it and um you know so the partners play a huge role in that and my wife plays a huge role in that so i'm thankful for for that and um i'm just i'm 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 just really thankful and i'm very happy i'm winding down a good year uh i introduced my son uh, my second son uh and my family is is hopefully done growing now but growing in a different uh, direction as far as experiences. Uh, I'm looking forward to everything that the outdoors can provide you. Uh, and I, I, I want to share that with my family. I want to share it with you guys. And I'm looking forward to you guys sharing your stories with me. I know I'm rambling now, but uh, back to the, the partners, Wasp, Exodus, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead. And uh, I think that's it. But I tell you what, it has been a wild ride this year. Thank you guys for your support. And please, like I always say at the end of the podcast, go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Um, every one of these companies is a great company. And they are run by great people who, just like you and me, share a passion for the outdoors. Um, I can't think of one company on this list that I just mentioned that is a big giant conglomerate that is only interested in making money. Uh, these are companies that are run by participants. And what I mean by that is they participate in the outdoors. They're active hunters. They're fishermen. They're, they're nature lovers. So please go out and support those podcasts. Um, and, uh, if you want, want, you know, there's discounts out there, reach out to me if you don't already know them, uh, or call them up and say, Hey, I want the nine finger discount. And that goes for even some of these companies like gearhead and ripcord that may not have an official nine finger chronicles discount. But if you call them up and say, Hey man, you got a discount for uh nine finger chronicles listeners. They might work with you. So, uh, I, I say do that as well. Guys, I've been talking way too much. I, I guess I just want to, before we get into this podcast, I just want to say that I absolutely 
love hunting. And I know I've said this several times before, but I, I seriously have been planning and organizing something that I really want us all to participate in. And that's going to be helping raise money for conservation efforts. Um, it's, it's time for hunters to walk the walk and stop talking the talk, right? And if you want to change something, you have to be a leader. And I want to try to lead the hunting industry down a path of giving back and not necessarily just taking from the consumer and making money, but leading by example. And I want to donate money and more time to the natural resources that we all love to hunt and give back to that so we can continue to build the future for not only ourselves, but for our, our, our children and the next generation of hunters. And uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I want to start doing it in 2018. So uh, keep an eye out. More details are going to come from that. And I want to snowball this. I want to make it big. And I don't necessarily want to put pressure on people and say, hey, you're not cool unless you, you know, donate money to this. But I kind of do. Um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to lead by example and say, listen, buying your tags just isn't enough. And uh, you either need to step up your game. I need to personally step up my game. And uh, I'm going to use this platform for that. And I don't want it to turn into a preach session, but I do want it to turn into, hey man, this guy wants to make a difference and I want to, I want to be on that uh, train as well. So, uh, I'll be asking each and every one of you for some type of support in 2018. So keep an eye on that. Again, I talk too much. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. I hope all your wildest dreams come true. I hope you all kill booners. I hope your families, most importantly, families remain healthy or 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 become healthy. And because that at the end of the day is above and beyond all the hunting that we talk about on this podcast. I would give up this podcast in a heartbeat for my family and if it if it came down to it, but I know they support it, so that's the good thing. And that's it, man. Happy New Year and let's get into today's podcast with Oklahoma native Garrick Harrison. All right. On today's podcast, I am joined by Garrick Harrison from Oklahoma. How are you doing today, Garrick? Doing good. How are you, Dan? You know, I can't complain, man. Um, anytime I get to sit down and talk hunting with somebody, I love it. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do today. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fun and subject to talk about. Now, here's the deal. We, man, we, we bounced around for a while trying to get this thing scheduled because you shot an absolute slammer in, uh, Oklahoma this year. And, uh, we're going to get to talk about that today, but it's a cool story because you've had, you had several years worth of history with this deer. Um, you had them on trail camera, a ton of, you know, a ton throughout the summer and, uh, pretty cool story. And not just that you had one hell of a season in general. Uh, harvesting some other animals as well, which we'll get into. But before we get into this, 
the whole the whole story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live in Oklahoma and what do you do for a living? All right. Yeah, I'm from uh, South Central Oklahoma, a little town called Ada. Um, I work at a Ford dealership, service advisor there. Um, I've lived here all my life and uh, kind of bounce around from job to job, but um, I think I finally found my, something that I really like to do. Nice. Nice. So you've lived in that part of Oklahoma your entire life. Were you in a hunting and outdoors family your entire life, or is this something that you picked up later on in life? Well, um, no. I was never really into hunting um, at a totally young age. My father didn't hunt much. Um, There was um, a gentleman that uh, is like a father to me that introduced me to the outdoors at a young age and uh, took me under his wing and um, showed me the ropes and everything about hunting and fishing and the outdoors. And um, he's pretty much to open the door to everything and made me a crazy nut about hunting, fishing and doing anything outside. Right. Right. So how old were you when you, I guess you would say got introduced into that? I would say I was probably 10, 9 or 10 when I first got introduced, something like that. Okay. So you Um, you first got introduced, and was that introduced right away to Whitetail, or were you doing something else before that? um, Yes, Whitetail. That that was the first thing that I was introduced into. He took me uh, on a youth youth gun hunt um, the first part of, well, the second weekend of October. So yeah, I was introduced to whitetail hunting first. Okay, and then was that through gun or archery? It was through gun um, that he he took me as I started out with this little old single shot, uh, two twenty three, and uh, yeah, he started out. He'd we know we'd always hunt together, you know, during the youth and then the, when the rifle season come come upon and yeah. Um, we also went during bow season as well. I just sat along with him when he had his bow and, uh, just show me, show me everything that I, that, you know, that he knew about the outdoors. And, uh, I think he did a pretty good job. Gotcha. Now was compared to how serious you are of a hunter today was the guy who showed you the ropes. Was he serious? Like you're serious now, or did you kind of graduate into a next level? of seriousness i guess you would say for for hunting in the outdoors i would say he was serious for the era that he grew up in hunting he was he's not old by any means but he's an he's an older gentleman and um but i you know for him what he grew up around you know he knew everything that was going on with that time um for me, I've actually grown with the times. I took what he's taught me and what, you know, growing with times, you know, with, you know, like Ozonics and Scent Crusher. And I've moved forward and I've learned more things like off the off of your podcast and um, off Mark Kenyon's, you know, Wired to Hunt. I've, yeah. I've took those things in and absorbed them and used them in the field. And I believe it's made me even better of a hunter than what I've learned from him. Absolutely. Now... With all that said, um, did he also introduce you into other species outside of deer, or is that something like a jump that you made by yourself? 
that was something that I made a made a jump by myself. Um, I kind of I kind of you know wanted to explore. Um, you know I've I've the antelope hunt that I went on this year was the first big hunt that I've actually went on. I didn't go out of state, of course, but um, it was actually my first other hunt, uh, hunting for something other than whitetail deer. I've went on a couple hunting ranches, I should say, big acreage ranches, and hunted um, some exotic animals, but uh, nothing um, as like free range, you know, up in the mountains, you know, hunting elk or anything like that. But, right, right. Now, kind of going back to when you were a kid, you know, this guy took you out, showed you the ropes. Was it something that was instant? Like the first time you ever went hunting, you fell in love with it and said, hey, man, I got to do it. Or did you have to work your way into loving it and appreciating it and and having it be like your number one passion? Well, I guess for me is. I grew more to liking it. I mean, I, I sat out there and, you know, I wasn't very patient at first. Not a very, I wasn't a very patient kid. But sitting in there cold or, or not, you know, waiting for deer to come out and things like that. I think what really got me was the first time I ever pulled the trigger. Yeah. And this overwhelming just came over me and I was got the shakes and I was real nervous and I couldn't stop quivering and I just didn't know what was wrong with me. And after that, I, I just, I, it bit me. I had the bug ever since then. I, and I loved it ever since. So nice. Um, just the, just the whole going through and the process of things I really like. Right. Right. So how old were you when you shot your first deer? I was 11 when I shot my first deer. Okay. 11 and tell, can you remember the story? Can you share, share that story with us? Yes. Um, it was kind of the, I think it was the first part of rifle season, I believe. Um, me and my father figure, Randy, um, he, we was sitting on a little blind on the edge of a big field that we, we had made out of some brush and a uh, little old, I think it was a five pointer come out and uh, he's about a hundred yards from us. And, um, he come out on this little road and, and he was letting me borrow. My gun was having problems ejecting shells. Um, when it was cold for some reason. So he let me borrow his Ruger 223 bolt action gun. Yeah. And a um, little buck came out there and about 100 yards and I shot him. We went in there to get him and um, he was actually wasn't had expired yet. So he had to finish him off for me. But uh, that was my first deer. Um, we hunted uh, the next year together as well. And I shot a doe. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, those first two, you know, were really got me going and really liked deer hunting so much. Gotcha. Um, so, so that first kill kind of solidified your place and says, hey man, I'm going to be a hunter. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. It, so, so then moving forward, as you got older, um, what did you do? You know, cause, cause a lot of people there, I, I see there's two types of hunters in the world. You know, you got your weekend warriors, you got the guys who, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know if I want to call them weekend warriors because they, they, they hunt, but they're maybe not as serious as guys like you and me are. Um, and then mm-hmm. there's guys like you and me who 
I mean, we got blinders on. I mean, that's all we care about. Like for me, I watch some college football until it's deer hunting season. And then I don't even, I don't care about anything, any other extracurricular activity other than hunting. I mean, that's what I want to do. That's what I was born to do. Is that kind of how it progressed for you? For me, I tell you, like I said, me and Randy hunted together for our first couple of years. And then I, I don't remember if something happened or what it was, or he just let me go by myself. But it was November the 18th of 2000. And well, no, yeah, 2006 is when it was. First day of rifle, of Oklahoma rifle season. And I hunted, he let me hunt all by myself, or, or went hunting all by myself. And it was a cold, chilly morning, and it was, I don't know, like 7.30 or so. I mean, it was just right after daylight. And I heard a buck running, and then here come this doe running out in this field, and there's this big body deer chasing it, and I, I just I couldn't see the antlers. So he gets out there, and he mills around, and he actually breeds her in front of me. So I throw my gun up on the side of this tree and I look at it and it, this antler just filled the scope. And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, this is the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, you know? So I let him do his business and I shot him. Well, I go up there and until the big one I shot this year, he was the biggest deer I'd ever shot. I shot a, he was 150 inches. He was a 13 pointer. And that was my third year ever hunting. <laughs> So, so, and that was my first time ever hunting by myself. Right, right. So what happens? Like for me, I've always been in an upward progression as far as, and I'll just use antler size as the example, right? I've, I've killed older bucks. Let's say like last year I killed a four-year-old. I've killed older bucks in previous years. Um, and in 2012, I killed my biggest antlered deer and then i've kind of bounced around since then but at that age you killed a 150 class deer and that's a really good buck for how old were you 13 yes okay 13 13 years old you killed a 150 class deer and you didn't break that until this year did that ruin you or did it just give you more of a drive i think after that, I didn't want to shoot any more of those little five-pointers anymore. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I hunted age so much because I didn't. I, I went off antler size, which was wrong for many years I did that. You know, yeah. I shot several 120-inch deer that were only three, three-year-olds. You know, um, I, I went to that stage where I went off antlers um, instead of actually aging them or trying to age them off the hoof. Um, into the past, I should say since 2014, um, I should say is about how long I went until I started actually picking and choosing and not shooting anything any younger than a four, you know, I shot everything older than a four year old or up I shot. Yeah. So, um, it didn't matter if he was a, if he's an, you know, a six and a half year old deer and he had three points, as long as he's big and he's a mature deer, you know, I was, you know, I finally matured into a hunter and hunting more of age instead of antlers. Right, right. What got you into doing that? Why that change? I think it was because 
I had another influence from a, a guy that owns a uh, outdoor shop around here. Gotcha. Um, I shot a couple young deer that was really nice deer. Um, I shot one that was, he would almost go 130. And he's like, man, you're, he's like, you're, them are good deer. But he's like, you'll never shoot that deer you really, really want if you don't let these deer like this go. Yeah. And like ever since he told me that, I kind of just, I kind of just, it just stayed in my head. And I was like, well, you know, I was so scared because I don't have, I mean, I know it's a lot compared to some people, but I only have 660 acres to hunt on and everyone around me hunt. And I've always thought that if I didn't kill this deer, the neighbors would kill it. Right, right. If I let it go. But I learned that that wasn't true after running trail cameras that all these deer kept living and I had the food and I had the cover and they were staying on me. Yes, they'd go and leave during the rut, but most of, some of them or most of them would make it through. Right. Yeah. So. You know, that's funny. I never, I never shot any spike bucks. And when I first started seriously getting into, and when I mean spike, I mean like younger deer, because I remember putting a trail camera out in 2006 and I got a picture and back then I had to go take the film to a pharmacy. I had to get it developed and then I would get like 30 pictures and that was it. Right. So, so I was flipping through them. I see this buck and I go to the farmer whose land I'm hunting on and I go, Oh man, I really hope I I get this one. He looks at it and goes, you don't want to shoot that one. And I'm like, well, this is one, this is a huge buck. It's a big buck. And he's like, no, that's a 120 inch, like two year old or three year old. And I, I look at that buck and then I got it. So I got an education right off the bat before I even started hunting that that I guess taught me a little bit about age class and uh, as opposed to antler size and what age can do to antlers if you give you know a deer enough time so I don't know if that necessarily helped me because I think that guys go through a period of time just like you did when you were shooting young deer but you were killing and I think killing, the killing part is actually something that can benefit a hunter the most out of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, before now, I sit there and I just, it's kind of weird, I, that's like watching them now. I sit there, and I, there are a couple of places that I hunt are pretty remote on my place that's off of a, of a good beaten path. Um, and... You know, I sit there and I think I have a good, a decent one come in, <laughs> and I'm like, he's he's pretty pretty close to mature there. You know, he's probably a four year old deer, and I say, you know what, I've got to drag him out of here. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. He's got to be really big for me to do that. <laughs> right, right. I tell you so, what, I I I purposely put myself in positions for that exact same reason, where the only way like when i get down into the thickest and nastiest stuff on any property that i hunt i say the only way i'm pulling a deer out of this hole is if i'm going to put him on my wall mm-hmm. so yeah well that's that's cool how that all kind of ha- you know kind of worked out for you you know to get to um i guess where you're at today but okay so so you killed that you killed that big buck at 13. You went through several years of, 
you know, basically just focusing on antlers. Then you decided to focus more on age class. When you did that in 2014, did you still find success? I mean, did you have to, obviously I I take it you had to be a little bit more patient, but what was your success like after you made that decision that, Hey, I want to, I want to kill some older deer. Well, the thing is with that, I think it's probably 2012 or yeah, 12 or so. I had one deer in mind that had been hunting. He was just a big old gnarly eight pointer with short brow tines with a kicker comp off his base. And I had nicknamed him Shorty because he also had a stub tail like a coyote had got a hold of him when he was younger. And um, I had hunted that deer so freaking hard. I mean, I hunted him and hunted him and I saw him twice out of all the times. Yeah. And um, that year, 2014, I had him. He was a six and a half or seven year old deer and he was still a big old gnarly eight pointer and i went into a spot expecting him i had a perfect wind it was october the 11th um and i you know went in there trying to shoot him got the perfect wind i hunted the opening day and then the 11th day because i didn't want to go in there unless i had the right wind and i went in there and um had a couple does show up and then uh, not long before dark, I had two bucks come through the woods. And I was just fixing to jump the fence when the landowner guy that I hunt on his cows come up and run them off. Kind of kind of upset. And I sat there and I, I was just trying to get the cow's attention to make them run off. I grunted at them and kind of waved my hands at them to make them run off. And they run off. When I did, I looked back in the woods and there's this buck standing there looking out in this field. And uh, he came up to the creek, and he jumped the fence, came out there, and I could tell he was a mature deer, so I shot him. He ends up being 100, and he went 135 or 133, something like that. Um, He'd been my biggest deer with a bow, um, and he was a four-year-old deer. And a deer that I actually had pictures of probably a mile away on seven acres that my dad owns. And I never even expected him to show up over there. Yeah. So, and that year I killed one deer and that was, I killed one buck in two does all year long. Cause I killed him so early. Wow. And you know, I, I was just hunting maturity, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So when, when that happened, um, what did that, what did, what did hunting that particular deer teach you as far as you know because i think we've all kind of gone after a buck or i shouldn't say all of us but i can speak for myself when i when i say i've hunted a specific buck for a very long period of time uh almost like i put all my bread into one basket trying to you know hunt this buck and it didn't work out but it it, it did for you it sounds like what did What did you learn from that experience? Well, (laughs) I didn't kill a target deer I was after, but I killed, you know, another really nice deer. Um, That deer in particular, I learned something about him was I had certain spots that I fed at, since it's legal here in Oklahoma to bait, and I had my cameras over them, that it seemed like every time that I would go in there and hunt, he would never show up. 
But every time that I wasn't there, he was there. And my buddy Mason was like, you know what you need to do? Don't hunt him over the bait. You need to move like 100 to 200 yards off that on a trail and catch him going to that. Because what he's doing is circling downwind of that bait, and he knows you're there before he even comes in the sight. And the first time I did that, I saw him. And I thought he was going down this little pinch point down this timber and crossing over this little little road to get down where I'd been feeding. Right. And I was way wrong. I backed way off on an observation point and watched. I didn't really hunt that night. I just kind of just watched to see if he was really doing, you know, might do this. And he crossed probably, I don't know, a 20-acre field. No, it was probably it's more than that. It's a big old field. It's 300-something yards the other side. He crossed it right in the wide open and ran all the way across it. And as soon as he got to the edge of timber, he stopped. And he diagonally walked down the timber, down in the woods, to get the wind on where my stand and my feed was at. And I tried to move in on him, and I hunted it another time, and I saw him, but he was just too far out of distance um, for my muzzleloader, and I couldn't kill him. And that was the last time I ever saw him. I never got pictures of him again. Um, I heard the neighbor killed a, killed a pretty nice one the last day of rifle season in the middle of the day, and I think that I think that was him. Right. Um, I never got to see pictures of the deer, but pretty sure it was him. He's been gone ever since. Right, right. You know, it's also legal to bait in Texas or hunt over a feeder or whatnot, and that's one thing that the guys that I've talked with down in Texas they say the th- same thing. They don't necessarily hunt directly over the bait they are hunting downwind of the bait hoping that their target buck does exactly what you said and kind of circles in downwind and right when they you know j hook back into that bait pile is when they get a Mm -hmm. a crack at them so yes is that something that was an aha moment for you like hey man if i'm gonna bait i i can't hunt over top of it i gotta hunt you know, down a ways. Yes. Um, that was for sure. One, I mean, that big one I killed this year, I killed him about 25 yards off my bait pile and I was on the downwind side of it. But I think another thing that I've learned also is entrance to your stand and being quiet and making sure your wind's not blowing to where they're bedded is a hundred percent helped me a lot. Um, when I killed that big one this year, I parked a long ways away and I walked, made a big loop and come in the backside of my stand because just in case he was up early that day, moving in this little strip of timber and just to make sure I didn't blow him out before I walked in there with the wind and he's coming there. Perfect. I mean, it was right, you know, right at like seven twenty, and, uh, he come in perfect. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. So before we get into this year's hunt, I want to talk a little bit about Oklahoma because Oklahoma has a variety of terrain, right? Um, And I want to talk a little bit about the terrain that you specifically hunt in. Okay. Um, Where I hunt at, it ranges anywhere from open fields not necessarily crop fields, but open fields, 
you know, hay meadows, um, to hardwood timbers, to rolling hills, you know, rough, you know, rough kind of rocky terrain. Um, that's around here. That's what mostly it is. Yeah. Um, so, so is there, is there then like a different part of the state where it gets to not necessarily like a desert type, but more of a no trees, rolling hill, prairie and pasture? Yes. Um, up kind of northwestern Oklahoma, kind of the panhandle, Kansas line area, the whole northern section there. Um, I'd say it's more flat, open farm country. Um, does have some rolling hills. Like when you get out the farm country and you get off, you know, off the crop fields, it's kind of rolling hills, sage, yeah. um, you know, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, is there mule deer out west there? Yes, um, there there is there is some. Um, I don't know how many exact, you know, like on wise, right. but we have we have quite a few here, in different areas of the northern northwestern section of Oklahoma. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, what about the like the pictures you're sending me and the stories that you're telling me here suggest that the the part of Oklahoma that you hunt has really good quality deer. Uh, what is that quality and what are the numbers that you're typically looking at when you, you know, like when you go out on a sit and how many deer are you seeing in a night? Well, I'll, well, I'll say this, since we have a lot of timber here, you have to kill them early. You want to kill a big one. Majority of the time, if you're going to try to hunt them over bait, you have to kill them early because as soon as the acorns start dropping, you're, you're done. And then, and then you have the October lull starts. It is very tough to have a mature deer during daylight hours to kill him. Um, they they go nocturnal and they and they go to acorns. They will straight up stop eating corn and go to acorns. Right. Um. So, I'd say number wise, what I see, I'd probably say I see about. 10 to 12 does and probably four or five bucks, I'd say. Um, and out of those five bucks, I'd say one's, one's probably, probably, I'd say out of those five, I see a pretty decent three and a half year old deer every time, I should say. Okay. I have a lot of young deer that two and a half or so that are really nice antlers. They're just not mature yet. Right. Right. So, and is that consistent for your part of the state? And then like in that area, how far off until those numbers change or is the, is Oklahoma? I mean, I, I even hear Oklahoma getting thrown into the likes of a state like Indiana. You know, they're calling Indiana now is like the new sleeper state where it's a good, it's a good state to go. I mean, it's not quite Iowa or Illinois, but it's up there comparable to some of the other good you know, like Missouri, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin type, type deer. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what has helped Oklahoma a lot is we have been very blessed the last three years. We have got rain in the summer and springtime, and it's got good vegetation to hide those big deer, and um, we haven't had any really really cold winters in the last you know 
three or three years or so. Right. And there hasn't, I mean, there's been big deer killed every year, but this year when it was just phenomenal, there's uh, there, I guess we have a representative in Oklahoma that is uh, licensed to score deer and <laughs> he has scored as I checked yesterday, he scored 20 deer this year over 200 inches in Oklahoma. Nice. Nice. It is. It's remarkable. That's, it's been our best year ever. Right. Um, on the quality of deer. And I, and I would not be afraid to say that this year, me and, my, me and my buddy Mason talked about, that our quality of deer, just off Facebook, off of Oklahoma Hunt and Fishing page, and several other ones that are on there that people have posted, that this year, the quality of deer average is probably 125 to 130 inches easily. Yeah. I have seen very few deer. I mean, first time timers hunting this year that are hunting out there and they kill their first deer and they're 125, 130 inch deer. I've seen very few small spikes or, you know, five or small young deer. They've all been very nice, mature deer. Nice. Well, that's a good thing. Now, what's the, what's the tag situation like for a, uh, for a resident in Oklahoma? You can buy one over the counter. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to buy one. Um, just one go online or, uh, you can kill two bucks in Oklahoma. It used to be three. They took that away from us a couple of years ago. You can kill one. You can either, you kill six deer total. Um, actually, seven total. That's including your holiday doe. You can kill um, one buck. You can kill all your deer with a, with archer equipment if you would like, or you can kill one buck with a muzzleloader and one buck with the rifle. Okay. So um, that archery tag can get crossed over to a, a what a muzzleloader, or is it just like here are two buck tags? One of them can be with a rifle. The others can be however you want. Um, yes, our, uh, for raffle season, your buck tag, if you don't fill your buck tag, you can actually turn it into, um, a doe tag at the end of the year gotcha. if you don't fill it. Um, so yeah, you can, I think you can kill, oh, I don't know for sure on that. Cause I don't really hunt much with these other two. I hunt with a bow mostly, but yeah. a muzzle loader. Um, I know you can kill one buck and I think it's one doe. And then I believe with a rifle, it's one buck and two does. Right. What about um, non-residents? As far as that I know. A non-resident, I don't know much about non-residents. Gotcha. I haven't. Um, I could look into that, but I, don't, I do not know off the top of my head. Gotcha. Just curious if it was like a preference point system, kind of like Iowa, or if it was an over-the-counter. Over like I could just drive there. Yeah, I know, you can, I know you can buy one over the counter. I do know that. I know you don't have to draw points to come here. Gotcha. I do know that. Gotcha. You can go to Walmart or you can go online and buy one. All you have to do is have permission from a landowner and have a lease because we have plenty, plenty of Texas hunters that come up here. Yeah. What about, uh, I mean, the property? I mean, is there a good portion of public lands for guys to go out and hunt or – I mean, are you hunting on public ground or are you hunting on private ground, lease ground? How's that work? I hunt on private ground. Um, I'm lucky uh, as in that my dad's land is right there next to this guy's property and we oversee it when he's gone and uh, we take care of his cows and things like that. And 
manage it, you know, fence wise and take care of it. So I get to hunt it for free. Um, so I'm very blessed that I get to do that. Right. Um, but there is plenty of, of public ground here to hunt. Um, there has been several of those deer that I told you that are, that are 200 inches that have come off of the public ground here. Um, sure you, you have to earn it. I mean, you have to go way back in there to get them. Um, but, uh, you know, those, those big deer don't, don't get, you know, they're not stupid. Right. So they definitely go where there's not as much pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's for, that's for all deer, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So this year, right? Yeah. You shot a giant. Okay. What he was one, he's a one sixty. What did you age him at? You think? Well, we pulled his jawbone, and from what I can tell by charts and the guy, the taxidermist, he's only from five and a half to six years old. Okay. I would put him no more than six, but he's definitely, definitely right in that area, five okay. and a half to six. Okay. So we'll call him a five-year-old, all right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the history with this buck. When, when did you first lay eyes on this whether it was scouting trail cameras sheds all that stuff well um here where i around where i'm at i I try to shed hunt some but a lot of times it gets so thick and gnarly in a lot of places it's where they where they lose them at i don't find many sheds but i found a few here and there and the one you know the squirrels and you know critters pick them up pretty quick right um but this deer, it was last year. I got off kind of work kind of late. And it was dark. And I went in to this little spot. I snuck in there and I pulled the card on it. And I just went up to my truck and I sat in there and uh, checked it. And he was there. Um, he'd been in there a lot during daylight. Don't I mean, I have no idea where he came from. He was probably a 140-inch deer last year, I'd say. Okay. Um, he looked probably like he looked four four year old is what he looked like. So and I had him all year long, video, um, pictures, and I actually tried to hunt him last year, and uh, I never laid eyes on him one time. Um, so I ended up hunting him all year long. I made it till right about Christmas time, and I went duck hunting, and I had an accident. I uh, went to step over a branch and hypersended my knee and broke my knee. So my hunting season was over. Um, yeah. So I, uh, had to recoup from that. So I I didn't get to feed them or check cameras at all until I'd say, it's right around March where I could finally really get out and do things after resting up and being in bed and watching TV shows a hundred times because I couldn't couldn't go do nothing. <laughs> um, I finally got out there to pull my cameras and check them, and he w- he had made it through season before my cam. My camera actually died right. in the first part of February, and our season here in Oklahoma ends January the fifteenth, and um, he'd actually made it. So he made it. So I was happy for that at least. What was he last um, year? I, um, he was. I want to say 13 or 14 pointer, I think last year, he actually swapped sides. His, his 
bigger side last year was actually his left, and he traded it this year for his right. I don't know why, or but he actually got bigger on his right this year, and his weak side was his left. So he, he flip-flopped, which, you know, it doesn't matter. Still 160. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, he, he was, I don't know. He was same, same form Iraq, dark chocolate antlers. Um, I think he had 13 points or 14 points last year. Gotcha. Um, so is this a buck that you, um, I mean, he was on your radar, obviously last year. I mean, if it wasn't for your injury, you would have been chasing actively chasing and hunting this deer, right? Oh yeah, and I, and I just got to kind of honed in on him again because you know he was recouping from the rut and he was getting back on feed really hard, and uh, we had just had some ice and stuff come through um, that week. Our rut had come through that week, and I knew he was going to be on the feed, and uh, I'd actually pulled my camera two days before I had I had, had my injury. And, um, he had been in there during daylight and it was actually starting to group back up some him and a few more bucks. And I knew it was any time now that if I just, you know, took my time and had the wind right that I got in there, I could probably kill him. Um, and then I had my accident and broke my knees. So that didn't happen, which I'm kind of glad it did. Cause he, he grew into a giant. <laughs> right. Absolutely. How, what did he score last year? You think? I think it was right around 140 ish. 145 is what I'd say he was at. Okay. Yeah. So. He he bumped up twenty inches from last year to this year. That's a pretty pretty decent yes. jump. All yes. right. I uh so when you you know, you got you got better, you checked your trail cameras, he made it through the season. Were you looking for his sheds? Was this a deer that was on your hit list, you know? Did you have him throughout the entire winter and summer, like pinned down? Was he actively on your trail cameras? What was this deer doing between the end of last year's season and until the beginning of this season? When I was finally able to pull my cameras or check them, um, right around, I'd say March, first part of March or so, um, he he was on there, like I said, before my camera died. Um, then uh, I pulled him, and I did, I put him back up for turkey season to kind of get some, figure some stuff out and for the turkeys. And then I'd say probably right after turkey season ended in May. I uh, I usually never start feeding them in May. I usually don't start until July or so. But for some reason, since I since I had him, I was like, well. When they're growing their antlers, let's start early this year. So in May, I put some I put two cameras out, one in the middle of the property, one in the far north end of the property, in places that I really wanted to hunt in my area, where I wanted him to come to, not where I thought he was at, where I wanted him to come to. Um, so I put some feet out, put my cameras out, and I let them set for probably a week. I pulled them, pulled the card, and I had some really nice deer. You know, they were. They weren't real big. They weren't real big growing yet, you know, so I couldn't tell much about them. But they were big enough that I think I could be able to tell kind of a form of what he would look like um, if he was on there. And none of them were him. Yeah. So I went another week and did the same, and he wasn't on there again. So I put one more camera out. I went to fall, the last picture, the last place I got a picture of him last year. 
put some feet, put one bag of feet out, put the camera out and left it for a week. And I went back and checked it. And within five hours of me putting that camera out, <laughs> he was the first deer on the camera. Nice. The first one. And he was on it. I mean, I mean, he was there. I mean, he might go two or three hours out eating. I was in his bedroom. I had him during daylight all the time. And I had him like that all the way up until um, a week before season started in October. And I had about a half a dozen pigs move in. Um, and they pushed him out. He, he didn't like it. Right. So then I scrambled. So I instantly cut the feed off down there where I had been feeding him at. And I went back to feeding in the, feeding in the center of the property because some of the bucks that he was bastard with for some reason would come to the center of the property spot and feed, but he would never follow them. He would always stay on that one spot down there. So as soon as I cut the feed off down there, those other couple of bucks that was with him that had been coming back and forth from those two spots led him and brought him to the spot in the middle of the property where I ended up killing him. And thank goodness they led him over there to finding that feed, or I don't know if I would have killed him. Right. Um, so when he showed up on trail camera for you at the beginning of the season in the in the summer before the season even started, actually, was was all chips in on this particular deer, or did you have other deer that you said you know maybe? Maybe I'll go after this one too. I mean, did you have a hit list or was it this focused on this guy? I I had, well, when he showed up, all focused was to him. I had two deer I had in mind that I knew they had made it. That if they, you know, if I got them back the next year, they would be shooters for sure. Right. But I knew that if he made it, that he would probably be number one hit lister for sure. And when I got him in, you know, I think that was the first day of may or june when i got him like june the third or something like that when i first got him uh he was already halfway formed it was weird he like he had lost to either his a lot earlier than most deer lost you know shed and his grew faster but he then had brow times a main beam a g2 and a g3 started right um it was remarkable how big he already was so i knew he was gonna be something special for sure being you know, I'd, I'd even venture to say 20% bigger than any of the rest of them already. Right. Right. So, um, kind of all, all focus went to him, but I knew those other two deer, if they showed up, they would definitely be, you know, second and third on the hit list. It'd just be something else I could fill my, you know, fill my second tag on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Makes sense. Now the, the pigs pushed him out. You got worried. You came back, or you you put some more feed in the center of the property. He shows up, and then what happened? Well, um, he he actually let's step back a little bit. He lost velvet way before any other other deer. Most deer lose their velvet around here first part of September. You know, all the way up. Some sheds really late. Right. You know, right around first part of October. But he lost his velvet October the 20th, or October, August the 20th is when he lost his velvet, way earlier than any deer I've ever seen. And um, he he went to immediately making scrapes around that area, around where I had pictured him in the summertime. And um, then when he got pushed out, he went over to the other spot and did the same exact thing. 
Yeah. He, as uh, soon as he found the spot over there, he made a big old scrape um, right behind where I'd been feeding. And his pattern was kind of sporadic over there. It was a little farther from his bed than the other spot. So I was actually getting him closer to dark. And I'd have him there real early in the mornings before daylight. And then he was staying there till after, right after daylight, and then he'd be gone. And instead of having him every day like I did the other area, I'd have him about every other day. I'd have him one day in the morning and then the next day in the evening. Um, he was just kind of kind of sporadic and like at the other spot. Right. Okay. Were you, were you getting frustrated that it, he, he wasn't necessarily consistent? I never really got frustrated, um, but it definitely um, had me worried that he I wasn't going to be able to kill him with my bow the first part of the season um, because I knew, like I, I mentioned earlier, I knew if he made it to when the, the acorns dropped that he would be very difficult to kill him. And then right after that time, our muzzleloader season here in Oklahoma starts right around October, last part of October. And I knew that, that right then the bucks are starting to kind of do a little bit of seeking that I was afraid he may leave me to look for a doe yeah. uh, or, you know, kind of widen his, his area. So um, I kind of just hunted kind of smart. The opening morning, I, I just stayed out of there just in case he was in there. Right. Um, and I didn't want to bump him. Okay. So I waited till that evening to hunt. So did you feel, you know, going into the, the night that you actually killed him, did you feel confident that you were going to have an encounter with him and that you were going to actually see him have a shot at him? Or was it one of these things where, Hey, the conditions are right. I'm just going to go in. Well, it was, <laughs> I went in there, I pulled my card on the way in and I put a new card in and I pulled it and I have a little, it's called a white teller, um, yep. phone reader that I hook up through Wi-Fi to my phone. Yep. I got one right now. And here. I went there and I was, and I was checking it and I had him that morning right at daylight. And I thought, man, thank the Lord I didn't hunt this morning because I would have bumped him out. And it it gave me a sense of excitement because I knew in previous times if he was in there in the morning times, he'd be there in the evenings. He had not missed a time. Now, if he goes and skips the morning, then you're not guaranteed to him to be there that evening. All right. So I was sitting in the stand, and I actually saw the text message. I texted my buddy Mason. I said, you know what today feels like? I said, it feels just like October the 11th, 2014, when I shot that, my biggest with a bow then. Yeah. Except the wind was out of, is out of the south instead of the north, but it has the same feel to it. And I was expecting to see all kinds of deer because I had all kinds of deer on camera in there. And it was kind of slow. I didn't see my first deer till 7 o'clock, and it was um, a two-and-a-half, three-year-old seven-pointer that I had coming there. And he came in there, and he chowed down, and he fed for 15 minutes and then he finally uh he was sitting there and he was just feeding along and he looked up and looked behind him and just walked out i thought well 
that's kind of odd. You know, he was, he, he didn't act spooked. He just act like there was something coming. Yeah. And then I looked and I, I saw him here. He came the, the, the big deer I shot actually had white feet right around his hooves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you could see his white feet coming up when he walked up and I knew it was him, but it happened so quickly. He didn't give me time to get nervous or nothing. Right. He walked right in there to my shooting hole at 23 yards and I yeah. smoked him, but no rage in his, in his lungs. So that was, that was it. I mean, it, it, I mean, it literally happened that fast. And when did your bow season start? October 1st. And you shot him October 1st. Yeah. I shot a doe that morning in another spot with my daughter in the blind with me. She's four nice. and she loved it. I shot a doe that morning. And, um, that evening I went to that spot and I shot him. Sound that, that so, day right there just sounds like the perfect day. I mean, you got to harvest a, a deer with your daughter and then, you know, that was kind of your family thing. And then, you know, put the kids to bed. Now it's time to go hunt the bucks and you harvested yeah. your biggest buck to date. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, you know, I'm a very big social media guy on Facebook and things and, and, you know, text my buddies and things. And I shot that deer and after a shot, you know, I had the shakes and, and things. I just knew my, I knew I'd hit him just in the sound. And then I heard him crash. Yeah. But I knew nothing was guaranteed. And something told me just wait. I wanted to wait until I got my hands on him to tell everybody. Yeah. And I, you know, I gave him about 15 minutes and I get down. My air is just coated with blood and there's blood everywhere. He goes about 50 yards and he fell in a little tall, there's some real tall like grass there. He fell right in the middle of it. And I kind of got worried. I couldn't find, I couldn't find any blood in that tall grass. And then I happened just to make one more step and there he was. And then, uh, then the Facebook live happened <laughs> just straight up. You know, I, was, I, uh, I was, I was super excited. I killed him. Um, it was like a dream come true. I scared every deer within the county there, hooping and hollering when I shot that thing. Yeah. You thought I killed over 200 incher, <laughs> but for me, it just got me so fired up because I I tried so hard, had history with him for you know for two years, um, and I'd actually had pictures him all summer long, and things like that. It was just finally something like that come th- come through for me when i had tried because a lot of times i'd done that and a neighbor would kill him yeah you know or he would disappear it was nice that all the hard work that i had done it paid off right right and that's cool man um it just you know it's a little bit different way to hunt you know a lot of the guys that come on this podcast are from new york or michigan or pennsylvania or one of the other midwestern type states but you know down south and including, I guess there's other, like Ohio, you can bait, but you know, you bait, it's a different way of doing it. It's ethical, it's legal. And, uh, you got the job done on your biggest buck to date. Now, when you went, you bent down and you touched his antlers for the first time, what was going through your head? Well, (laughs) when I touched him and I picked him up, I was actually, I was FaceTiming my buddy, Tim, and, um, he, I was FaceTiming him and I had my flashlight, my headlamp on him. And the first thing I said when I picked him up 
it his all his mass. I just suddenly felt heavy, and I said, I said to him, one fifty. We're way wrong. He is not a one fifty. Yeah. This year go. I figured he'd, he'd go one sixty, and from the camera wise, I thought he'd probably go one fifty to one fifty five. He actually shocked me when I picked him up. I thought he would probably go one sixty. He'd be really really close. He actually went right at like one sixty and three eighths is what he was at. Yeah. So he barely made it, but, uh, it, it was just, it was so, you know, I'd went so many years without killing another big deer, you know? And, uh, it was awesome to finally do it with my bow. Yeah, for sure. Um, so do you have just, another deer on the, uh, I don't know, is the Oklahoma season over yet? No, January 15th ends. It is when it, when our season ends. Um, I had another deer, had a couple deer that had on, had on camera that, that are shooters or that are mature deer. Um, I, and there's not even the biggest deer antler wise on camera. Um, I have a four year old deer that, that had a big drop tine off his right side. He broke shit in his velvet. He'd probably, this year he'd probably go upper forties to low fifties. He's a giant deer, and um, I actually saw him right around Thanksgiving time chasing a doe, and uh, he came to a little spot, and I had my gun, and I had my gun on him, and I, I just, I then shot a big deer with my, with my bow, you know, and I, I just couldn't make myself to it, because I knew that if he made it, being as big as he is, that that deer will be a monster yeah. next year, yeah. a absolute giant. So I let him go. And for all my buddies that are around here that will listen to that, they definitely, only one that was there will know, but they would not believe that I passed that deer. And I let, I let him go. Well, then uh, I saw him another time. It was the last day of rifle. The morning, the morning of the last day of rifle. Seven does come out, and he come out as well and come through a field. And then... Uh, he he kind of disappeared after since then and i hunted almost all day that day and i never heard any more gunshots so i know he didn't get shot i just think he's kind of went out roaming for does and hasn't showed back up yeah but um kind of got off on tangent on that on that deer but <laughs> i had another deer that was a mature deer um right before rifle season started he was he looks probably to be five and a half or six year old 10 pointer not real big in score probably go low 40s um, maybe, maybe a little more than that. He come in, um, chasing a doe. He was about 25 yards and he was slightly cooled to me, just a hair. And I shot and I thought I got, I got, got great arrow penetration. I've seen it go all the way up to probably half the arrow shaft. And, um, you know, I didn't hear a real loud whack. I could hit shoulder or anything like that, but I shot him and he ran off. And I never heard him fall. Well. I went for Chip Merrill, seen some air, some hair there, and uh, I backed out. I gave him about four hours, and then I came back and looked, and there was no blood. We made several big loops and never found any sign, and I happened to come up through a creek. And when I popped out of this, this real deep creek, there he was laying there. Well, I turned my headlamp off and just backed out real quiet. I never heard him run off, so I waited until the next day to go in there. And I went in there and there was some blood where he was bedded, but he wasn't there. Yeah. 
So I was like, shoot, the coyotes must have jumped him, you know, and here he moved off. So I looked for him for the rest of the day till dark. And then the next day, looking for buzzards, never could find him. Well, probably four or five days after that, he showed back up on camera. He looked just fine. Had, had a mark where the hair was gone from where I'd shot him at and where the, you know, the arrow went in. But he looked fine. There was no arrow in him. There was just a little hole in him. And I've had him on camera ever since. He's just kind of sporadic, and I can't really get in on him to kill him. But uh, we have some cold weather coming in this weekend, and uh, it ought to get him on the feed pretty hard. So I might slip in there and try to kill him. Nice. Nice. Well, it sounds like you got plans for the rest of uh, this season. But backtracking just a bit, a week after you shot this big 160-class buck, you went on a little antelope trip. Talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, I tell you, for me being just hunted here, around here, I was supposed to go with my buddy Mason, and he had some things come up, so he couldn't make it with me. So I was doing this all by myself. I had uh, got permission through making a few phone calls to hunt some private property up in the Panhandle. And roughly, by the, before I even got there, roughly what I had permission to hunt was right around 6,000 acres of of you know farm farm territory right so i get up there and uh the farm with one of the main farmers i got permission on showed me around and uh he showed me where his property boundaries was and stuff like that and um i was using the onyx map app to keep me make sure i was staying on the same boundaries and everything he showed me you know who owned this and who owned that and um pretty much did it by myself you know i he showed me around and i just me not knowing anything about spotting and stalking um or the characteristics of how an antelope reacts or anything like that i just know what i've seen off tv and what i've listened from your podcast and and mark's podcast uh i thought i'd give it a try and uh it was very, I learned a lot. It, I learned more every day watching them and looking at the terrain. It, it was just remarkable. I can't even believe I got it done. Yeah. So um, did you use a decoy at all? I mean, was this with your bow? What, how, how did, how did it all play out? Oh yeah. I'll, I'll use my bow. Um, the guy that I was hunting on, <laughs> He said, you're using your bow, correct? And I, was like, and I was like, yeah. He said, how do you want to try to hunt them? I said, I'm going to try to spot and stalk them. He kind of had this weird look on his face. He's like, man, I had, I had one, one woman come up here and hunt for two weeks on a water hole, and she had one opportunity in one. And he, he kind of looked at me like I was crazy, yeah, like, like this is impossible. And I kind of felt that way in a way when I got up there and seen how open it was. Um, but. I fought through it and I used the terrain to my advantage and, uh, the wind and things. And cause the wind's always blowing as open as it is. Yeah. And, uh, I managed to get it done. Um, so I did not use a decoy. They were rutting. It was a tail end part of the rut then. Um, like I said, I didn't know anything about them. If I'd have known I, and I knew they were rutting at that time, I might've brought a, a decoy or, you know, I've also heard the story of using like a white rag. Yeah. Um, attract them in. Um, but I didn't know none of this stuff. <laughs> so 
just kind of was it was it just a little bit of you know simple principles and at the same time dumb luck that help you you know harvest that that buck well i think it was definitely dumb luck for one but also i knew going into it that i knew that having a spot in stock that it wasn't going to be like here it wasn't going to be you know a chip shot 30 yard shot you know right i was actually going to have to have to earn it so all summer we had planned this and mason had planned to go so i'd been shooting 60 70 yards all summer trying to feel okay at that range you know i really didn't want to but i want to be ethical at that range just in case i had to take that shot and i used i'm glad i did because when i shot my antelope he was at 72 yards when i shot him holy cow and yeah it was a it was a very long shot and i pin i mean i I pinwheeled him i mean big time um so the practice helped Yes, for sure. I mean, I wish uh, there was a little section that I had where there was this set of antelope. There was four bucks in this. There was one big old herd of them in this one spot. But it was the most, and it was the smallest piece of property that I had permission to hunt on. But it had the most stockable ground. Yeah. It had a big, big, like dried up pond in the middle of it with a big canyon that ran down to the center of it with fingers that come off of it. And up on top, it plateaued. Well, the antelope were up on top where it was kind of flat, and then fingers ran right there next to it. So there, it was the most stockable area to hunt them. Um, so I, I kind of focused my time late Saturday evening when I when I scouted this the last scouted it, and I noticed these antelope were there, and I knew that trying to hunt the ones I was hunting on all the the big tilled up wheat fields and things like that was going to be the i couldn't get her done it was just too open so i moved my focus onto these antelope that was in a more better position to stop and have a chance at gotcha gotcha well man that's awesome congratulations on an awesome season not only an awesome uh antelope buck but an awesome whitetail buck good luck next year as well and hopefully we can have you on again but most importantly man thanks for taking time to come on the podcast Well, thank you for having me on, Dan. And there you have it, the last podcast of 2017 in the books. Like I said, much more to come through the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Be sure to listen to the Land and Legacy Podcast, the DIY Sportsman's Podcast, the Transition Wild Podcast. Be sure to go to social media and like the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook and Instagram page. Be sure to go to Sportsman's Nation Facebook and Instagram page. Like it. Follow it. Uh, Go to sportsmansnation.com. Check out the website. Every podcast that we've ever put out is on that website. It's easily sortable by the content provider and listen to it right there or you can go to wherever you get download your podcasts podbean stitcher itunes wherever you download your podcasts just search sportsman's nation and we'll pop up subscribe like leave a review all that stuff and um you know 
spread the word because the bigger this gets, the more we can do with it and the more we can benefit you, the listener. And guys, I'm just, I'm heading into 2018 with a really positive attitude. Uh, I'm ready to grind harder than I've grinded ever. And um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I, I'm happy. And uh, man, the most important thing is, man, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Happy New Year.